0: To not only uh, be present tonight, Lord, but to be uh, attentive, that your Holy Spirit would help us to learn the things that we uh, studied, uh, that we're going to study, Lord, help us to apply it to our lives and help us to be able to to have it change our lives as a result of your word. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 14. And like I said, I know we are in Luke 17 this morning. Usually we don't preach out of the same book on both services, but that's okay. We'll be in Luke 14 just for a little bit. And I want you to notice in verse number 28. Actually, look at verse number uh, 26 Luke 14:26. It says, "If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." Now in verse 27, the Bible says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." For which of you, verse twenty-eight, intending to build a tower, sit it not down first and count the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Now Jesus is talking here about sitting down and planning something out before you do it. All right. Now the context, because we want to be true to the scripture, you've got to understand when you study the Bible, verses are in a context, and we've got to be true to that context. Now sometimes we can take a verse and learn a spiritual principle that we can learn in another area, but we must study scripture in its context. And here, Jesus is talking about the fact that someone may decide they want to follow Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, uh, 26 again. If any man come to me, so someone comes to Jesus They decide they want to. Look at verse 27. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he says, look, you can come to me, you can follow me, you can say I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can say I want to follow Jesus Christ, you can say I want to be like Jesus Christ, but you've got to understand this. Verse 26, he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, now Jesus, now in verse 28, he says, for which of you to build a tower, sit it not down first and count the cost whether you have sufficient to finish. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you're going to follow me, you better sit down and count the cost. He's saying it costs something to serve Jesus Christ. He says, It costs something to follow Jesus Christ. Now, people like to take this verse and, and use it against Scripture, and they'll say, What kind of a God would tell you to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brethren and sister? But you got to send this. Notice at the end of the list he said, and your own life also. Do you see that? The point is this. Our love for God ought to be so great that it seems like anyone else in your life that would be important, it almost seems like you hate them because you love God so much. Okay. And that you put God before any of those people, including your own life. That's the context of this passage. But what I want you to understand is this. Jesus is teaching here to sit down and plan out your life. Now... Tonight, we're dealing with the subject of character and finances. You say, what does this have to do with character and finances? Well, we've been going through a series on Sunday nights about character. If you remember, the first sermon in this series was in regards to what is character, and we saw from the Bible that character is self-control, self-denial, self-discipline. We talked about character and habits, breaking bad habits, establishing good habits. We talked about how to develop character in your life. We talked about character and time management last week. Tonight, we're talking about character and finances, and I want you to understand. It is important for us as Christians to understand what the Bible teaches about finances. Financial problems are the the number one major reason for stress. Financial problems are the number one major reason for marital problems. Today, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And 50% of those 50% marriages that end in divorce end in divorce because of financial problems. Financial problems are a major reason for depression and a discontent life. And the Bible teaches us how we can discipline ourselves. We're talking about character and finances. We're talking about discipline and finances. We're talking about uh, self-denial and finances. We're talking about self-control and finances. So I want to give you uh, a few points tonight in regards to how to develop character and how to exercise character in your financial life so that you can succeed with money. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, number one, if you're going to succeed with money, you must discipline yourself to budget you must discipline yourself to budget you say what what is a budget a budget is preparation look down at verse 28 again Luke 14 28 for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he hath sufficient to finish it he says look if someone's going to build a building don't they sit down first and figure out if they've got enough money to be able to build a building lest happily after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it all that behold it begin to mock him Saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Look at verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and counseleth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an an, an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Here's what you gotta understand. If you're going to succeed with money, you're going to have to discipline yourself to budget. Go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter twenty-three. Proverbs chapter 23. Now, I know tonight's sermon's going to be maybe a little different, talking about character and finances. But you must learn to budget. Now, a lot of people don't even know what a budget is. A budget is figuring out how you're doing financially. Let me just put it as simplistic as I can, okay? A budget is when you sit down and write down on paper how much money you have coming in. That's how much money you earn, how much money you make in any given period, uh, two-week period, a month, whatever. And then you subtract from that how much money you have going out. Those are your bills. Those are your expenses. When you take how much money you have coming in minus how much money you have going out, the, that number you get at the end there, that's a very important number, okay? If that number equals a positive, meaning you've got any number there that's not a negative, you're okay. You're not great, we'll teach you what to do with that money, but you're doing okay. If that number equals a zero, if you take all the money I have coming in, minus all the money I have going out, and you've got zero at the end of the month, and that's not horrible, but you're going to have to learn to either increase your income or cut your expenses to be able to begin to do with money that which God has planned for you to do. Number three, if you do that and that equals a negative, you're in trouble, you're going to spend money. You're gonna have to cut some spending, okay? Let me just explain something to you. Do not take financial advice from the United States government. The government every month spends more money than they bring in. You say, well, how do they survive? How do they do it? They borrow from China, they borrow from other countries, or they print money. Unfortunately, you do not have the ability to print money, at least not legally, okay? So if you're spending more money than you're bringing in, you're going to have to learn to cut spending, all right? A budget is when you figure out, how am I doing financially? What is my financial health? Also, a budget assigns a place to every dollar. Someone said this, budgeting is telling your money where to go, not wondering where your money went. Are you there in Proverbs 23? Look at verse number 5. Proverbs 23 Verse 5, tell me if this is true or not. Proverbs 23, 5, the Bible says, Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches, talking about money, right? Notice what it says. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Is that not true? I mean, you ever had just like $50 in your pocket or $100 in your wallet or $20 and after a few days, you know, you reach in your pocket, you ladies reach in your purse, and you're like, it's all gone, what happened to it? Money has this way of disappearing. The Bible says here, I like how it puts it, it says, For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Money has a way of just kind of making wings and flying away. So you've got to understand this. If you've got money and it's not accounted for, it will disappear. So budget, a budget is where you assign a place to every dollar. So that you tell your money where to go and you're not wondering where your money went. Now, here's what you got to understand about a budget, okay? You should assign a purpose to every dollar in your budget. So, for example, if you said, you know, I make $3,000 a month, okay? At the end, when you do write a budget, a legit budget, you should assign every one of those dollars a place in, your, in, in, in that budget. Does that make sense? There should be no money left over. There should be no money floating around. Does that make sense? Because if that money's floating around, it's going to disappear. Okay? So you assign how much you're going to give to giving. You assign how much you're going to pay for your bills. And by the way, let me just give you a few hints about budgets. You must assign yourself how much you're going to allow yourself to spend. And give yourself spending money. People, when they finally try to get their finances in order, they get this idea, I'm not going to spend any money on myself at all for the next three years, and I'm going to, you know, get myself an Listen to me. If you don't just give yourself a little bit of money to spend, you're going to go crazy and fail and get frustrated. You're going to go out to eat. You're going to go get a coffee. You're going to do something. So it's better to just assign yourself, you know, I'm going to give myself $50 this week to spend on whatever, or $20, or $100, depending on how much money you make. But, but, but assign that. Every dollar needs to be assigned somewhere. Because when money just is allowed to float around, it will disappear. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Let me give you just another hint. Go, go to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27. Let me give you another hint about, about, about budgets. There is no such thing as a perfect budget. You must create a new budget every time you get paid. And you need to do it at least once a month. If you get, you know, maybe you work in some sort of a business where you get paid, you know, every three months or whatever, just budget once a month at the very least. If you get paid every couple weeks, then you should budget every time you get paid. Make a new budget to assign that money where it's going to go. All right? Every month is different. Christmas is going to be different than February. Do you understand that? Every month is going to be different as far as the spending, as far as the birthday gifts you got to get, as far as what you're going to do. So every month, you can't just write a budget and say, this is a budget I'm going to follow for the rest of the year. You must write a new budget every month and say, okay, I made X amount of dollars this uh, pay period, so for the next two weeks, I'm going to plan out, by the way, People get, you know, people often will say to me like, Pastor, you know, and we try to help people financially, you know, we obviously, we're a church, we try to help people. But oftentimes people say to me, you know, we don't have any groceries and, and, and I don't get paid again for another five days, could you help us? Now look, I'm willing to help you. If you are ever been in that situation, I want to help you out. But you've got to understand this, if you put yourself in that position, it's because you're not budgeting your money. You're not planning the amount of time that that money is supposed to last you. So you must sit down and figure out, this money, I'm going to get paid again in two weeks, I'm going to get paid again in one month, I'm going to get paid again in three months. This money has to last me till then. So you budget, I spend a hundred, look, I'm telling you, you want to know Pastor Jimenez and Miss Joanne's budget? $150 for groceries every week as accounted in our budget, because a family of five, uh, six on the way or whatever, you know, that's how much we spend on groceries, so we budget that amount into our budget. We budget how much money we're going to spend. We budget our tight. Aside every dollar. Discipline yourself to set a budget. Are you in Leviticus 27? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 27. I said number one, you must discipline yourself to budget. Number two, you must discipline yourself to tithe. You must discipline yourself to tithe. Now you know, I, I, don't, I don't plan this out, honestly. I'm not smart enough to plan this out. We talked about finances in the book of Matthew on Wednesday. And, uh, I had this sermon lined up for this week, and I didn't know what we were preaching on Wednesday until I opened it up, you know, the week that I began to prepare for that. I didn't plan that out. God seems to be wanting us to talk about money, so that's what we'll do. That's fine. But you've got to understand this, okay? And I'm not going to preach. There's so much that could be said about tithing, and there's so many things that the Bible teaches about tithing, then I'll I'll preach a sermon on tithing at some point later on, but you've got to understand this if you're in Leviticus 27, look at verse number 30, Leviticus 27, verse number 30, the Bible says, and all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree I want you to notice this the Bible says, is the Lord, do you see that? It is holy unto the Lord. The Bible says all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. You've got to understand this about the tithe. It belongs to God. Amen, Pastor. Go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Look at verse number 23. Matthew 23. Verse number 23. We've got to get away from this mentality. We do not give. You do not give. I do not give my tithe to God. When I tithe to God, I am not giving an offering to God. The tithe belongs to God. I am simply returning to Him what already belongs to Him. In Matthew 23, look at verse number 23. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now look what he says. He's talking about the Pharisees that they're hypocritical but he mentions something that they did right look what he says for ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy. Now he's calling them hypocrites because they're paying their tithe, but they've omitted the weightier uh, matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We saw that on Wednesday night. These Now notice, these ought ye to have done. Talking about the fact that they paid their tithe. So he's not saying that they did something wrong for paying their tithe. He says these ought ye to have done, but and not to leave the other undone. He said, go ahead and tithe off the mint and the anise and the cumin, but make sure you also, you know, uh, do the law and the judgment and mercy and all those things, okay? But here's what I want you to see. I like how Jesus says, look at verse 23 again, Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye give your tithe. Is that what it says? Notice the word used there. For ye pay tithe. You see that? You got to understand this. You don't give your tithe to God. You pay your tithe to God. You owe it to God. It's like a bill that you pay. The Bible does not teach. The Bible says we bring our tithe, we pay our tithe. You are not doing God any favors by giving Him your tithe. It belonged to Him. It is the Lord's. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. We saw it this morning briefly. We'll see it again. And then I'm going to try to get off the subject of finances for a while, I promise. Malachi chapter 3. But we just, we're just there for whatever reason. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse number 8. You've got to understand this. To not tithe is to not pay the bill you owe to God. And by the way, that's stealing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Will a man, notice this word, rob God? Now keep your finger there in Malachi, because we're going to leave here, and then we're going to come back to it. The Bible says, Will a man rob God? Will a man steal from God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, "Wherein have we robbed thee? Now notice what he says there. In tithes and offerings. That teaches us that a tithe is different than an offering. Don't, a tithe is not an offering. A tithe is what you owe God. And by the way, let me just—I'm just trying to explain this to you from Scripture. You have not given an offering until you have did Do you understand that? If, if I owe my mortgage $1,200 and I send them $700, would it be a, a true statement for me to say I, I spend, I send my mortgage an extra $700 this month? You say, well, no, you didn't pay the bill. But, but I checked on there, 700, towards principal. Look, you, you can't pay above until you first paid the bill. Does that make sense? Say, I'm going to give an offering to God. But you can't give an offering to God until you first paid the tithe. You can't say, I'm going to give God something when you haven't even paid Him what you owe Him. And again, I'm not going to... I mean, I could preach an entire sermon on, on the subject of tithing. Keep your finger there in Malachi 3. I just want to give you a few things to think about. Go to Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You say, Pastor Ben, are why you talking about tithing when it comes to finances. Here's why I'm talking about it, okay? You need to understand this about tithing. If you say... If you're sitting there tonight and you're saying in your mind... And by the way, if you're saying this, that's okay. I still like you. I don't have anything against you. You're still my friend. But if you're sitting here tonight saying, Pastor Jimenez, I don't care what you say about tithing. I don't care how many verses you show me. I don't care if they're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It doesn't matter to me. I am not going to tithe. Okay? If you say that, that's fine. I still like you. You're still my friend. But you need to understand this. I cannot help you financially because you cannot expect to have the blessing of God on your finances while you're robbing God. You understand that? You say, I want God to bless my finances. You're stealing from him financially. How do you expect to get his blessing? Are right, you there in Proverbs chapter 3? Look at verse 9. Say, so, well, Adam and I got a tithe. We're still friends. I still like you. I'm just telling you. Nothing that I say is going to help you. Because God is going to get his tithe out of you, whether you like it or not. Proverbs chapter 3, look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with thy first fruits of all that increase. I don't have time to develop it. You can study it out on your own. But that phrase, first fruits, is used interchangeably with the, with, the, with the tithe. So he's talking about tithing to God. He says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of thine increase. And by the way, it's called the first fruits because you pay God first. When Pastor minutes gets paid, you know the first bill I write out is not the mortgage, it's not SMUD, it's not PG&E, it's not the, the internet. It's my payment to God. I make sure God gets paid first. If there's someone that's not going to get paid in my budget, it, it, you know, let it be smut. And, and I think Christians ought to pay their bills, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, you pay God first. You don't give God your leftovers. But look at Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Look at verse 10. So shall... Do you see those words? Why does it say, so shall... Because verse 9 says, you're honoring God with the substance, with the first fruits of an increase. Verse 10, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God says, look, I'll bless you financially if you obey me and do what I said. You've got to honor him. Go back to Malachi. We're, we're going to get off the subject of tithing in a second, but I just need you to see these things. Go back to Malachi chapter 3. You cannot expect God's blessing on your finances while you're stealing from God. Malachi chapter number 3, look at verse 8 again, Malachi chapter 3, will a man rob God? Yeah, ye have robbed me, but you say, where have ye robbed me? In tithes and offerings, look at verse number 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, look at what the Bible says, ye are cursed with a curse, why? For ye have robbed me, even the whole nation. Look, I can teach you all about budgeting. I can teach you all about getting out of debt. I can teach you all about saving. I can teach you all that thing. But if you're a Christian and you're stealing from God, don't expect God's blessing on your finances, period. Say, well, that's not fair. The world doesn't have to tithe. Yeah, but guess what? When you became a servant of Jesus Christ, you now live your life under different rules. We don't play the same game they do. The world can cheat and lie and steal and become rich. And you say, well, it's not fair. Well, guess what? They're going to die and go to hell. But we play by the rules of God. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. And if you're stealing from God, you know what? You know why I don't steal from God? Because I want to make sure God doesn't have somebody steal from me. Look at verse 10. You say, Pastor you know, you Menas, are you saying that I'm never going to have any problems financially? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. So God is very clear. He says, Ye are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Look at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now therewith. You know, here's what I love about the, the, the subject of tithing. It's the only thing in the Bible that God says, test me, go ahead. He says, I dare you. I mean, do you see the words there? Look at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now here with. He says, look, prove me. He says, test me. He says, I dare you. Try me out, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke, Lord, it says. I will rebuke the d- d- devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. He's talking to farmers. There's these farmers, they're saying, I I don't know why, it seems like every time I go out there, and I get to work, and I'm trying to plant this uh, ground, I'm trying to plant this field, it it seems like, you know, the fruit of my my ground is just under attack. Seems like the vine will cast her fruit before the time in the field. Seems like I can't, you ever said these words to yourself, why can't I get ahead financially? It's probably because you're stealing from God, that's why. I just don't understand why I go out and work and I labor. And it seems like nothing works out. You cannot have the blessing of God on your life while you're stealing from God. And look, Pastor Jimenez is not rich by, the, by any stretch of the imagination. But I can tell you this. My wife and I faithfully tied to God. Pastors tied. The Bible teaches they should. And you know what? I'm not saying we're rich. I'm not even saying we're well-off. But I know this. God has always taken care of us. God has always met our needs. There's been times where, there's literally been times where I thought to myself, I don't know how we're going to have the money to be able to pay the next mortgage. I don't know how we're going to have the money to be able to get groceries. And I mean, literally, I mean, you can, you can, if you don't believe me, you think our preacher's a liar, ask my wife. She's not a liar, okay? Literally, checks will come in from people refunding us from three years. We overpaid something. They charge us extra. God has always taken care of us. I promise you, he'll do it. And if you don't believe him, go ahead and try him out. Test him. You know why most people don't tithe? Because they don't have faith. That's right. You can say you believe in God all you want. Put your money where your mouth is. cannot expect the blessing of God on your finances while you're sinning from God. So I said number one, you must discipline yourself to budget. Number two, you must discipline yourself to tithe. Number three, you must discipline yourself to save. You must discipline yourself to save. Go back to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. I preach a sermon like this every once a year at least, maybe a couple times a year. I don't know that this is true tonight but the last two times i preached a sermon along these lines the last two times I've had a certified accountant be in the service as a first time visitor, both times and both certified accountants in several times came up to me after the service, they both said the same thing everything you said is absolutely right and you know what I said? I know, because I got it from the Bible (laughs) I don't need an accountant to tell me that the Bible is true but it's always nice when they do Proverbs 22, look at verse 3. Proverbs 22, look at verse 3. A prudent man. The word prudent means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. Remember last week we talked about character and time management and we talked about long time or long term perspective. People with character look ahead in life. People that succeed in life look ahead, many, many years ahead. As Christians, we ought to look into eternity and see the things that matter for God. Okay, Proverbs two three says, A prudent man, a man who is acting or showing care or thought for the future. Look what it says. Foreseeth evil. A prudent man looks ahead and sees, wow, there are problems coming up in the future. So what did he do? He hides himself. But the simple, now I don't have time to develop this. But if you say the word simple out in the Bible, you'll know what you find it means. And excuse me if you think this is bad language. But the word simple means stupid. That's what it means. The dumb person, the stupid people, pass on and are punished. Here's what he's saying. A prudent man looks ahead and says, there's evil up there. There's a problem up there. I I better foresee up there and I better prepare. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to do something to make sure that I don't get punished with what's coming up there. But a simple person just says, no big deal. I'm just going to go through life not thinking ahead, not looking at what's uh, coming up ahead in my future and they're going to go and they're going to get punished. You must discipline yourself to save money. Why? Why? Because, you've got to understand this, saving is the only way to accumulate wealth for yourself, financially. See, the reason you don't save, you know why most people don't save? is because they're not thinking ahead. Some of you need to be thinking You know, I, I am 28 years old. I don't like to say that often because some of you think, I don't need a young pastor. <laughs> Paul said, let no man despise my youth. So There. But you know what? I'm 28 years old. And you know that Pastor Jimenez, being 28 years old, and his 28-year-old wife are right now thinking financially about their retirement? You know why? Because when people look ahead in life, that's where they're prepared for, financially. You need to start thinking ahead and realizing that the things you're spending money on right now are not as important as the things that you're going to need when you don't have the ability to work. If you live long enough, you're going to get to the place where you cannot do the same work you're doing now. Start thinking of the future. Start being wise. Start being prudent. Go to Proverbs 19. Look at verse 14. Saving is the only way to accumulate wealth. You say, I don't, should you be preaching about accumulating wealth? We're going to talk about it at the end of the sermon, but you've got to understand this. The Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. There is nothing wrong with you having money. There is something wrong with you loving money. But accumulating wealth is a good thing. Are you there in Proverbs 19? Look at verse 14. Proverbs 19, verse 14. Tell me this is wrong when the Bible says, House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. The Bible says, look, your goal in life ought to be that when you die, you are able to leave, leave uh, houses and riches for your children and your grandchildren. Thank you, Pastor. So, Well, why don't most people not do that? Because they're not thinking ahead. They're living right now. Now, let me just give you some advice in regards to saving financially. You need to discipline yourself to live off of 80% of what you make. Do You understand that? You need to figure out, I make X amount of dollars every month and you need to discipline yourself. Figure out what 80, do your little algebraic you know, thing that you learned in seventh grade or whatever. Figure out what eighty percent of what you make is, and learn to live off of that. Say, why should you live off of eighty percent? Because ten percent belongs to God, and ten percent needs to start going towards savings, towards long-term savings. Learn to live. Off of 80%. And by the way, let me just tell you this the average self made millionaire in America saves 10 to 15% of the income that they bring in every month. That's why they're billionaires, because they save. We said number one, you need to discipline yourself to budget. We said number two, you need to discipline yourself to tithe. We said number three, you need to discipline yourself to save. Number four, You need to discipline yourself to get out of debt. You need to discipline yourself to get out of debt. Debt is a negative thing. Our society has taught us in America that debt's a good thing. Everybody runs around thinking, you know, credit is a good thing. Let me tell you something. Pastor Matt has a good credit. My wife, has. we have good credit. But you need to understand this. Your goal is to have no credit. You you understand that? Your your goal should be to have no debt. Are you there in Proverbs still? Go to Proverbs 22. Look at verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The Bible speaks negatively about debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, look what it says. Just look at what the Bible says. The rich ruleth over the poor. Now notice this. And the borrower is servant to the lender. The Bible, see, debt makes you a servant. When you are in debt, when you owe on this credit card over here, and this car payment over there, and the student loan over here, and this, you know, uh, payday loans, you know, all over the country or whatever. When you're in debt, you are serving, and you're not serving God, you're serving mammon. You're working for someone else, and you're not even getting ahead. The Bible says the borrower is the servant the deliver. Go to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Genesis, Exodus, the biggest number is Deuteronomy. Look, we're almost done. I'm going through this quickly because I'm tired. Deuteronomy 28. I already told you. I don't. I don't. I don't even like coming to Sunday night. No, I'm just kidding. I actually like coming to church. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 44. Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 44. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 44. Deuteronomy 28, verse 44. I just want you to see what the Bible says. I could, I could bridge a whole sermon on debt. Let me just give you a few things to look at. Deuteronomy 28, verse 44. We're not going into... Look, these points that I'm giving you, we could bridge an entire sermon on every one of these. I'm just giving you something to think about. Deuteronomy 28, verse 44. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. Does that sound like your life? Are you constantly the one lending to others and helping others, or are you the one being lent to and being helped? Now look, I, I'm not against you. That's it. I'm just saying the Bible says this: He, the guy that lends, shall be the head, and thou shall be the tail. You see that? That keeps you from getting ahead. I don't mean ahead. I mean ahead in life. But the Bible says here that the guy that lends is the head, and the guy that's a borrow is the tail. Look, I, I don't want to be called the tail. Do you understand that? The bottom. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't want God to describe my life financially. Well, the bank's the head, and you're the bottom. You're the tail. You're the part that stinks. You're the part that nobody wants. Do do, do you understand that? Debt is a negative thing. You need to get out of debt as soon as possible. And let me give you a way that you can do that. And I didn't come up with this. I don't know who came up with this. I've heard this from multiple different sources, but I'm sure people do it because it works. I did it myself when we were in, in debt. My wife and I decided a long time ago that we were going to get out of debt, that we were going to hate debt, and, you know, today, I'll be honest with you, we are completely out of debt except for our mortgage, and we're working on that, (laughs) but I I, I want to explain to you how we did it. I didn't come up with this. I learned this from someone. I've seen it multiple places, but let me give you a few things to think about. To get out of debt as soon as possible, you you can use what's called the snowball system to get out of debt, okay? The snowball system. I'm trying to explain this to you as quickly as I can. Let me just, uh, I'm, let me give you an example of an of average uh, person, okay? Um, let, let's just say, let, let's just hypothetically say there's an individual, okay? What you need to do is you need to sit down and figure out what are all your debts? What is everything you owe, okay? So let's take our hypothetical person here, Mr. I'm in debt and not getting ahead in life, okay? And he sits down and begins to write down everything he owes. So maybe he writes out MasterCard, okay, and he's got a balance of $500, and, and he writes out, I've got a promotional interest rate of 1.99%, and I've got a minimum payment of $15 dollars i got to make on that, okay? And maybe he writes out, I've got a Visa credit card with a balance of $8,000 and an interest of 7.5%, and the minimum payment is $25. And maybe he says, I've got a car loan. The balance is $17,000. The interest is 6%. The minimum payment is $250. I've got a student loan. The balance is $5,000. The interest is 3%. The minimum payment is $100. And I've got a mortgage. A balance of $180,000. An interest of 4.5%. A minimum payment of $1,200. Okay, you sit down and you figure out, you say, man, that person seems like they're in a lot of debt. According to CNN Money, in 2012, the average American household with at least one credit card has nearly $15,950 in credit card debt, not counting their cars and their mortgage. That's a pretty accurate look at society. If you were honest, many of you would probably say, yeah, that's me. Okay, here's what you do. Number one, you write down all your debts. Everything you owe. The interest rate, the minimum payments, how much you owe. Now here's what you got to understand. You have to pay every bill. Pay, make the minimum payment. The Bible says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. you got to pay your bills. The Bible says it's a good testimony for you to pay your bills. But here's what you do. You begin to send the minimum payment to all your bills. Okay? So if it's $15 minimum payment, you send them $50. If it's $25 minimum payment, you send them $25. If it's $250 minimum payment, you send them uh, $250. If it's $100 minimum payment, you send them $100. If it's $400 payment, you send the minimum payment to everybody to keep everybody happy. Alright? Then here's what you do. You put your finances, your debt in a list of priorities. Now, here's why you got to do it. You want to do it from the highest interest to the lowest interest. Okay? Because you want to pay your highest interest first because those are the people that are charging you the most. Does that make sense? Now, there are two exceptions to that. And you don't have to do this, but I think this is smart. The smallest balance, and I know I'm talking fast and just hopefully somebody's getting this or writing it down or listening to it on the internet. But the smallest balance should always be the first thing you endeavor to pay off. Even if the interest rate is not the highest, just whatever's the smallest balance, you've got a credit card, you owe $500, just, just set out to, to, to pay that one off first, okay? Even if it's not the highest interest rate. You say, why do you do that? Because it gives you a quick win. You understand that? It, it allows you to kind of get something out of the way and you feel like, man, I did it. And now you're ready to do the other ones. Other than that... Line everything up, highest interest first to the lowest interest, and always have your mortgage be the last thing you pay off, even if it's a lower interest, just because it's going to be the biggest thing. So always have your mortgage be the last thing. Okay, are you still with me? Now, here's what you do. You put your debts in priority by paying the ones which have the highest interest first. You take the debt with the highest interest, and you take your budget that you figured out. Let's say you did your budget, right? And you figured out, you didn't know this. You thought you were all broke and didn't have any money, but when you sat down and you figured out, I've got X amount of dollars coming in, I've got X amount of dollars going out in bills, I gave myself $30 a week to spend on little things here and there, and at the end of the thing, I've got $50. Now look, that $50 is not party money. Because you've got to assign every dollar in your budget, right? So you take that $50 and you say, I'm going to put that money towards paying off my debt. So here's what you do, Okay. Let's say you take your $50 a month, you've got extra at the end of the month, right? You begin to pay off that $500 credit card, right? Okay, that credit card has a $15 payment. Here's what you do. You send $50 plus plus the $15, so now you have $65 that you're paying towards that credit card every month. And if it's a $500 credit card, you're going to knock that out in a few months. Okay? Does that make sense? You with me? Once you pay that credit card off, guess what? Now you have $50 every month plus the $15 you were paying to that credit card. Does that make sense? You say, Pastor minutes. do I now take that $65 and party with it? No, you don't. <laughs> Here's what you do. Now you take that $65, which was the $50 you started with, plus the $15 you are sending to the master credit card. Now you send that $65 on top of the minimum payment to the, ma- uh, to the Visa card. Remember the Visa card? The Visa card had a, a minimum payment of $25. So now you're sending 50 which was your extra money, plus 15 which was your MasterCard, plus 25 which was your Visa. I hope some of you are getting this. That's $90 that you're not... I'm trying to give you an example, a real-life example. That's $90 that you're not going to begin to throw at that Visa card every month until you pay that thing off. And when you pay that thing off, guess how much money you've got now? You've got the $50 you first started with from the beginning. You've got the money from the MasterCard which was $15. You got the money from the Visa card, which was $25. You've got, you got $93 here. What do I do with this, Pastor Jimenez? You don't party with it. It's going to be a long time before you go to a party, okay? Here's what you do. You take that $90, you throw that towards your, what's your next payment? Your, your car. In this situation, you've got a car payment, right? Your car payment is $250. You throw $90 on top of that. Now you're paying $310 towards your debt. You pay 300 and by the way, you've got to understand this. When you pay above, the, the interest eats up your payment. When you send your minimum payment, more than half of it goes towards your interest. It doesn't do anything. But when you send money above your minimum payment, all that money goes to pay down your debt. pay down your debt. You pay $310 towards your car, you pay off that car, you have a car that's debt-free, guess what, now you have $310 free money every month can we party now with it? No. Now you take 310 dollars and put that towards the next bill, whatever it was, your student loan. Your student loan was $100 minimum payment, but now you got $310. You can put above that above that $100, uh, dollars you got $410. You see, this is a snowball effect. It starts slow, but you begin to get momentum and you begin to pay off debt quickly because you are disciplining yourself not to just let money float around and get spent over here and it gets spent over there, but you're taking that money and you are focusing it on your debt and you're getting yourself out of debt. And one day you'll, you'll be done and you'll say, wow, I don't owe on anything. Let me tell you something. A car feels nicer when you own it. When when it belongs to you, it doesn't belong to the bank, it feels nicer to drive. And you begin to pay off your debt, you get rid of that stuff. And look, it brings you out of bondage because the borrower is is servant to the lender, is what the Bible says. So we said number one discipline yourself to budget. We said number two, you discipline yourself to tithe. We said number three, you discipline yourself to save. We said number four, you discipline yourself to get out of debt. Number five, you must discipline yourself to live within your means. Go to 1 Timothy, chapter number six. 1 Timothy, chapter number six. Do you know why when I get up here and I say, you need to tithe ten percent? You need to save ten percent? You need to figure out what extra money you've got and start paying towards that debt and getting those debts paid off so you can not be in bondage to the bank. You know, when I say that, some people go, that's impossible. I don't think I can do that. Here's why. Because the average American spends all of, if not more money than they make. You've got to discipline yourself to live within your means. Just let me, let, if you get one thing from this sermon, get this. People who look like they have money usually only have a bunch of debt. They, they have nice car. You say, well, wait a I've seen your car. It's a little Civic. It? it's 10 years old. But guess what? I'm not paying any payments on it. You, you, I've seen that, that uh, van your wife drives around. It's a 2007 Honda Accord. But guess what? I, I, you know why I have the liberty to take a part-time paycheck from Mary Baptist Church and I can still pastor this church? Because I don't have a bunch of debt that's keeping me a bondage. When you are financially independent, and please understand this, I'm not rich, I don't have a lot of money, but here's what I do have. Not a lot of debt. And when you are financially independent, it brings with that liberty... To be able to do the things you'd like to do. Don't fall for this trap that, you know, I've got to keep up with the neighbors and I've got to drive a nice car and I've got to have nice clothes and I've got to have this and I've got to have that. Decide. You must decide. You must decide to discipline yourself that it is more important to have money than to look like you have money. You understand that? It's more important for you to have money in the bank account than for you to dress like someone that has money in the bank account. Let me give you just a few things. Uh, I got this from a book. It was a study on millionaires. And 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 look, I'm not advocating that you be a millionaire or whatever. But I I just want you to understand some interesting facts about self-made millionaires. Number one, most self-made millionaires never purchase a new car and do not drive luxury import cars. You didn't know that. Only a minority of self-made millionaires have ever leased their vehicles. Two-thirds of self-made millionaires are self-employed. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Self-employed people make up less than 20% of workers in America, but they make up more than two-thirds of self-made millionaires. What does that tell you? Half of self-made millionaires have wives who do not work outside the home. Amen? 90% of self-made millionaires are homeowners, and half of them have lived in their homes more than 20 years. Self-made millionaires, on average, do not wear expensive clothes. The average self-made millionaire saves 15% of their earned income. The average self-made millionaire believes it is more important to acquire wealth than to purchase expensive things to look wealthy. Two-thirds of self-made billionaires work 45 to 55 hours per week. You want to make some money? Go to work. I always tell my kids, you know, we tell my kids, a good place to go when you need money is work. You know what our society teaches people? A good way, place to go when you need money is the government. Don't go to the government for money. Go to work. Look, I'm not against you if you say, well, Pastor, I'm struggling and I'm getting financial. Look, I'm not against you. If you need that, do what you're going to do. But your goal ought to be to get off that financial assistance and just make money. Uh Two-thirds of self-made millionaires work 45 to 55 hours per week. The average self-made millionaire did not receive an inheritance from their parents. Did you know that? The average self-made millionaire in America did not receive an inheritance from their parents. The average self-made millionaire does not subsidize their adult children's financial life. Most self-made millionaires are considered cheap or tightwads by broke people. But guess what? They're not broke. First Timothy chapter six, look at verse ten. Let's finish this off on a spiritual thing. You must keep money in the correct perspective. You must keep money in its correct perspective. First Timothy chapter six, verse ten. The Bible says, "For the love of money is the root of all evil." which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says, They that will be rich fall into temptation and despair. Your desire in life should not be to acquire wealth. The love of your life should not be money. Do you understand that? But most, see here's the thing. In our society, most people love money and use people. You know what we should do? Love people and use money. There, you gotta understand this. Study. I've said this multiple times. Study Scripture. Study the men in the Bible that were used mightily of God. They were not broke men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These men were not struggling financially. They were able to serve God because they had a handle on their finances. Number one reason people can't serve God is because they they're financially struggling. See, the, you gotta understand this. We shouldn't love money, but look, money plays a plays. There, there's a place for money in our life. There's a purpose for money in our life. To pro, you say, what is the purpose for money? Number one, to provide for your family. You have to have a goal to be able to provide for your fi- for your family. And understand this. There is nothing wrong with driving nice cars. There is nothing wrong with having nice clothes. There is nothing wrong with going to nice restaurants. There is nothing wrong with, with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If, if you don't love that, if you love God and use, uh, uh, use money, if you love people and use money, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. But there is something wrong with having nice things when you don't have the money to pay for it. And you just put it on a bunch of credit cards. What is the purpose of money? To provide for your family. And look, you ought to provide for your family comfortably. There's nothing wrong with that. Go on vacation. Do fun things. Take your wife out shopping. That's great. The purpose of money is to use it in your life. Okay? Number two, the purpose of money is to invest in the kingdom of God. Remember the perspectives we talked about last week? Remember the priorities we talked about last week? One of the reasons God gives you money is to invest it in the kingdom of God. And number three, to help others. We talked about on Wednesday to give alms. I'm not going to get into that. But we should want to be charitable with our money. We should want to be able What is the purpose of money? Provide for your family, invest in the kingdom of God, and help others. That's it. It's not for you to to sit there and see how much money you can acquire. But you can use money for the purposes of life. You know, people, you know, you. I don't know, you may wonder, Pastor man? why do you preach sermons like these? These are not take your typical sermon you'd hear at church. Why do you do this, something like this once a year or whatever? Why do you do that? you got to understand this, okay? Money is a reason you are stressed out. Money is a reason you're fighting with your spouse. Money is a reason you've got a lot of problems. And you know, when I look at the subject of tithe in the Bible, and I see that God tells Christians, including myself, that we are to finance the ministry of Jesus Christ by giving, and he gives us a percentage, 10% of what we make. You know what that tells me? It's in the church's best interest that you be financially strong. you understand that? Because the more money you make, then you can support the ministry to reach more people. See, I don't think you should be saying that. I'm just telling you, that's the truth of reality. The, with the, with the fact that God says, hey... Whatever the people in the church make, 10% of it ought to go to finance the church. That tells me it's in our best interest to teach people how to handle finances. And you know what they're not teaching in public school? You know, they they've got they don't have time because they've got to teach evolution, and they've got to teach gay pride, and they've got to teach kids about, you know, sex ed, and they've got to teach all this filth. What they should be teaching is kids how to handle their money. What people are not learning in school, they're not learning in college, they're not being taught by their parents, is how to handle finances. Now listen to me very carefully. We're done right here. I just want to tell you this. If you take one thing that I talked about, it will help you financially. Just one. If you begin to budget and that's all you do, it will help you financially. If you get out of debt and that's all you do, it will help you financially. If you begin to save, it will help you financially. But if you do all of them, I promise you it will revolutionize your financial life, and it'll bring liberty to you financially. So hopefully, you know, let's not be a forgetful here, like the Bible says in the book of James, and let's keep money in the right perspective, but realize that God has given us, the Bible says that God is the one that gives us the power to get wealth. There's nothing wrong with getting wealth. Don't love it. Don't love it, but use it. Love people. Use money. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I know that this is maybe a different type of sermon than people are used to hearing at a church, Lord, but uh, it's in the Bible. The Bible teaches these principles. And Father, I pray that you would please help us to be able to uh, handle our money well. But to realize that the the goal is not to be rich. The goal is not to be a millionaire. If someone has a goal and says, my my only goal in life is to make a lot of money, they, they need to get their heart right with God. But, Father, you have taught us, you do teach us in the scripture on handling our finances, and it requires self-discipline. It requires self-control. It requires self-denial. All of us want to spend more, and none of us are perfect at it. We, We mess up all the time with it. But help us to just realize when we mess up, when we don't do the budget, when we don't stick to it, just... Just start again, just get back up and do it again, and stick with it. Help us to learn consistently, consistency in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be prudent people that are looking ahead. Not just taking every day by day, but just looking ahead and realizing, okay, what am I going to do 20, 30, 40 years from now? Help us to prepare for those things. Help us to honor you with our finances. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God talks so much about finances. Father, you talk so much about finances because often the way we handle our money proves our heart and proves our love for you. We love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.